you've been following the news, I'm sure you maybe had some thoughts about the victims groomed and entrapped by Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, and we remember events that have happened in Rotherham, Rochdale, and other awful sort of events that have happened and across our world. Now Dickens, Charles Dickens, may somewhat have sugar-coated the case of grooming described in Oliver Twist. So why do I mention this? Well, for Fagin and for the Artful Dodger, you've all seen the films or something of Oliver Twist, haven't you? Um, Oliver Twist is a useful idiot. He's young and naive. And you know, for Satan, you and I are useful idiots. Just as young Oliver Twist was entrapped because he was needy, so we also can be entrapped because we are needy in different ways. Feeling insecure, feeling like outsiders, desperate for acceptance and belonging, just as Oliver had to be rescued from his impoverished life of crime, Jesus has come to rescue us from our ignorance and the way of life handed down to us by our birth families. Yes, even if those families were Christian. And to tell us why we were really created. Many Christian churches across the world work with street children. I've heard it said that it's easier to get the children in from the street than to get the street out of the children. And it can be the same when we turn to Christ. All those years when Satan was grooming us, condition us to the empty way of life that he had for us. And just as Oliver Twist was ignorant of his true identity, so are we. But as you know, in the novel, Oliver's true identity, the, tr the identity of his dead mother, because he was an orphan, is eventually revealed. And he finds out who he is. He finds out whose he is. Now, you might say, well, I've never been abused. Well, I'm glad. But do you really know God as, as God's child? Are you sure you're not living an empty life? We're looking at this first letter of Peter in the New Testament, and what I have just described would be a way to look at the section of 1 Peter we have before us today. It tells us about our true birth family. It tells us what our Father God and Elder Brother Jesus have done to rescue us and it points to ways to undo the conditioning and grooming which have entrapped us in habits that are not easily shaken off. And as I read, you'll see that it is written to those who started out on the path of following Jesus. And if you haven't started that path yet, uh, you'll learn what that path will look like. And if you're on that path, well, you'll recognize some of the issues, I'm sure. So let's read from chapter 1, verse 13 of the first letter of the Apostle Peter. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Because we anticipate Jesus is going to come back to the earth physically. Verse 14, as obedient children, right, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. Uh, for, for it is written, and he quotes the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each per person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life 
handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> but was, <clears throat> verse 20, I'll get to it in a minute, excuse me. <clears throat> verse 20, I have one, but Emily, thank you. He was chosen, Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. I did lateral flow this morning, I was negative, just in case you're wondering. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then into chapter 2, just the beginning. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Milk here is a metaphor for the word of God, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Great words, aren't they? God is good. So Oliver Twist was an orphan. All he had to tell him who he was was what? Do you remember what, 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 what the object was? Anybody remember? It was a locket from his mother in which there was some hair and a name was inscribed and a wedding ring. And this is a spoiler alert. Those who hated Oliver in the story, who were grooming him, they destroyed that locket in order to try and ensure he did not discover whose he was and who he was. And just as Monks, the character who destroyed Oliver's locket, uh, destroyed it, Satan is trying to destroy everything in you and about you that points to you being a special creation of God. God made us in his image, but I spent many years ignorant of that. So I want to ask two big questions and then plough into the passage. What do we learn here about God? What do we learn about people? So starting off with what do we learn here about God? We learn that God can make all things turn out as he intends. We sung it in one of the songs that he has wonderful plans for the whole universe, including you and me. Now, I don't know, I, I quite enjoy superhero movies and action movies and stuff like that. And one of the things, though, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but almost invariably, Superman, Spider-Man, or Jason Bourne, um, all of these people seem to be reactive. They're overcoming the baddies who already have a well-laid plan. Have you, have you noticed this? And it seems like superheroes are super in almost everything but risk management. <laughs> um, at, at wargaming potential threats. They're useless at that. They, they, they're always caught unawares and have to play catch-up, whereas the baddies have this deep-laid plan that is being rolled out. 
One exception in terms of, uh, that I can think of is the Narnia Chronicles, where we find that Aslan has a plan all along to make things work out. But then the author, C.S. Lewis, was a Christian, so he knew the Christian story. You see, the Bible teaches us that before he created the world, God wargamed everything and made a plan how to make everything turn out right. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit pre-planned all the interventions that would be required so that goodness, love, justice, and God himself would triumph in the end. And uh, in this passage, Peter repeatedly refers to this planning. It's not presented logically, but references are sprinkled all across the passage. So he places our experience on God's timeline. And so I've pulled out six things here. So we're told that before the creation of the world, Christ was with God the Father planning the rescue mission. Christ was chosen then. In other words, he was redeemer before he was creator. Number two, humanity, humanity fell from grace into times of ignorance and an empty way of life. That's described in the book of Genesis, the fall. Number three, Christ came to earth and started the last times. Sometimes Christians get themselves, are endlessly asking a question. Some Christians, you know, are we in the end times? Yes, ever since the resurrection we've been. The Bible teaches that plainly. Number four, God raised Jesus from the dead. Life defeated death. The resurrection, it's a central part of the Christian message. And then this era when we are citizens of God's kingdom, but still living in the kingdom of the current world, and already and not yet. It's a, a different time. We're migrants here in this present world, Peter says, growing up into salvation as part of God's family. And then sickly, but we've set our hope on the grace to be revealed when Jesus returns physically. At that time also, he also mentions that he will judge all people. So evil will be defeated and brought to justice. Goodness and love will triumph and this puts our, our little lives in the context of this thing. And we are privileged to have our little lives placed in such a context. God is including us in his great purpose. And so that brings us to the next question for, about the passage. What do we learn here about people? We learn that people are broken, messed up, often deliberately working against God's plan. We're deceived and trapped by Satan. But also, we delude ourselves quite a lot. That's why he says we've got to rid ourselves of deceit. You know, Elspeth and I love to go walking. And for many years, we'd come back telling each other, you know, we've walked 10 miles today or 15 miles and stuff like that. And then after a while, because we were quite keen on it, we bought one of those little GPS devices. This was before phones did that kind of thing very much. And wow, was that a reality check. You know, we found out when we'd come back from a walk guessing, oh, we walked 10 miles today, we'd actually only walked six. And actually, this little GPS used to tell you how much time you'd been moving and how much time you'd been stationary. And uh, it was like 50 50%. <laughs> it, it was a real reality check. It made us honest. And the Bible is like that GPS. In the Bible, the Apostle James says that the Bible's like a mirror. And when we look into it, we see the truth about ourselves if we're willing to do what it says. And then as we start to do what the Bible says, I'm afraid it does make us odd. You know? Now, don't try to be odd. There's a lot of odd Christians, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is we become odd because we can become different. As, as Adam said, holiness, one of the meanings of holy is to be different, to be other. And unfortunately, to be a Christian is to be somewhat other. But we're not trying to be odd. It just kind of has that effect. 
And, um, and in their day, it was very difficult for the Christians because they would no longer worship at the pagan temples so that then perhaps a disaster occurred in their town. Rains came and caused a flood or some other disaster happened and the people would all turn on the Christians and say, well, it's because you didn't come and worship in the temple and keep our local deity happy that all these disasters have come on us. And other stuff like this would occur. I wonder what the difference is. What are the pagan temples we don't worship at in our day? that make us look odd. So what would you say if you were writing a letter as Peter was to Christians facing persecution? He doesn't offer there, there, or you know, little platitudes like, well, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and stuff like that. I'm sh- probably quite a worthy saying. But he actually just says, come on, guys, keep going. Double down on following Jesus, right? And he makes lots of declarations about who we are now as Christ followers and how we can grow up as God's holy children. We have an identity and destiny to be walked in. Who we are and whose we are is very important. Now, that was covered a lot last week when Ellie opened up the first part of chapter one. I do recommend you go listen. And that foundation keeps poking through today's passage too. Uh, At risk of repetition, there's a slide here. Peter tells us that as Christ followers, we're we're obedient children uh, who call on a father. How? Because we've been rescued from our empty way of life and from the, the, the one who entrapped us by the death and resurrection of our elder brother, Jesus. So by faith, we've been born again into God's family through life, the life-giving word of the gospel. And now look, we no longer belong to this world. Instead, we're migrants in this world. I picked that world. It says foreigners maybe in your version, but you know that's like being a migrant, and that's a common word in our own day. So while we are misaligned with this world now, when God remakes the world, we'll be perfectly aligned with it. So meanwhile, we're being told, be holy because I am holy. And this is where we're going to focus for the rest of this morning. You are a human being before you are a human doing. And we're called to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Once again, we're being invited to imitate the family. And uh, we often hear this in black and white terms. You either are holy or you aren't holy. But that's not true to my experience, and I doubt it's true to yours. And I've been following Jesus since I was 18, and I can tell you there's a lot of mixture in my life of good and bad. So, and I think Peter tells us in this passage that to become holy is a process. And that's why Peter starts in verse 13 saying, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. In other words, we need to have hope that one day when Jesus returns and we meet him, we will have grace because I'm still going to need it because I won't already be holy. Yeah? So in other words, there's a process. So we're looking for this and we thank God that grace will be available because our hope is placed there. But he also describes the several parts of the passage that invite us to consider this as a process. But in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Again, it's family talk, but it's also process talk. Now, one of the most humbling things about conversion for an adult is that it makes you a child again. And that's difficult But God does not want us to be childish. He wants us to grow up into Christ and into the family likeness. Be holy because I am holy. And the passage offers us various tools to help us grow up. Other passages of the Bible offer other tools. Here's just a few. And I want to start by saying this. The most profound thing to realize is that you cannot trick God by faking it. You know, there's a saying, fake it till you make it. 
I, 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 Peter uses an analogy uh, in chapter 2 here of, of costumes used to make us appear different to what we really are. He, he wrote, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. The ESV puts it, put away malice, etc. Now, this word, rid yourselves, put away, is actually the word for take off, taking off clothes. In fact, in the Apostle Paul's letters, he says, take, take off, and you get the same word. It's the word for stripping these things off. For Peter, all sin is filthy clothes we're wearing on top of the true born-again you underneath and Paul uses the same metaphor. And the word hypocrite originally meant a play actor, one who donned a costume to pretend to be someone else. God is not asking us to play act being holy. He has the power to actually make us holy. And the process requires us to stop pretending to stop play acting and then instead to live our new identity in Christ. And we don't obey God to get him to love us. We obey God because he loves us and because we love him back and you know, children obey better than slaves. You might, if you're a parent, you think, really? Um, <clears throat> you see, because children are part of the family. Eventually, they understand they belong. and They share your family values. They share a passion for the mission, and they own it as their own. We are able to let go of our idols, our addictions, because we've been given something much richer, much more satisfying, to know who we are, whose we are, where we're headed, and why. Thus, obeying the commands is now in our own self-interest. We're in God's family, so we start to want all those things that pertain to the well-being and mission of that family. We, we begin to love to be holy as God gets into our lives. But above all, we've fallen in love with God, and so we no longer offer a duty obedience. We offer a beauty obedience because we love him. So as I say, there are things to take off, to strip off, and there are things to put on. So... Uh, verse 14 of chapter 1, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Once we were ignorant, Peter says. Now, it's not very, um, I don't know, it's not very respectful to tell someone, you know, you're ignorant, but that's what we were. And God doesn't pull his punches. But now we've begun to see the glory of God in Christ. And when we begin to see the light, we've started to get some revelation of what the world is all about. And that begins to change our behavior. So do not conform means we don't assimilate with the world. We don't just lose our uh, difference, our otherness, by conforming completely. But neither do we withdraw from God's world because he sent us to love his world. So we are called, as we've entitled this series, to be transformed so that we can be a transforming presence in the world. And this world tells us all kinds of lies that we used to try to live up to. We're told, the world tells us you must never ever show weakness perhaps. So we put on a costume of strength, of never showing emotion. Or the world tells us that we're a victim. So we put on the clothing of a fence which has a great big chip on its shoulder and we blame everyone else for our lives. Friends, if you follow Jesus, these fashions really don't suit you anymore. They're, they're ugly, they're out of place, they're, they're ill-fitting. And you know you don't really need them. They're not suitable for the weather and the climate in which you now live. A climate of grace and of mercy and of love and acceptance. So then rid yourselves in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. and every. Uh, let's take these in turn. Malice. <clears throat> 
This is an attitude that issues in bad words and actions because it's an attitude of ill will, of wanting to attack back and harm someone. It's to live with this attacking or defensive posture. The clothing of malice has lots of layers, lots of padding and armour, plus some nasty weapons. Malice is the way we may clothe ourselves if, if we're insecure and wanting approval. If we got our approval by sitting and listening to what God says about us, then we can be much less reactive when people point out that we've done something wrong at work, for example. We won't need to put on the clothing of malice. You know, at work, I, I try to make a habit of fessing up as soon as I can see I've missed a deadline or done some work incorrectly. This happens to you, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> it does to me, anyway. Um, but I find that, uh, like this last week, something happened that didn't go well. I thought it was somebody else. And, um, and then it was pointed out to me it was something I'd done. And I immediately said, no, I never do something like that. And... Um, <clears throat> It's, it's a reaction. It's a defensive reaction. It's not, I'm not proud of it, but it happened. And um, I was sure it was someone else that must have done something wrong. I'll pick up the story in a moment. So that's an idol I was protecting. It's my idol I must be approved of. And in order to be approved of, I need to be perfect. I need to have never made any mistakes. And then that makes you vulnerable to the kind of things that Peter says, no, you need to be able to take these clothes off because God already loves you, you're already accepted, so it's safe, it's okay. And Peter wants to see a community built where we love one another and make a safe place where we can take off all these defensive garments and actually be ourselves. So, um, you know, when you worship a God whose heart is kind... Malice seems so out of place, doesn't it? And then deceit. To lie is to say something that's not true when we know it, ought, uh, when we know it not to be true. Right? To lie is to say something that is not true when we know it is not true. But to be deluded is to say something that is not true when we actually do think it's true. Right? That's when you're deluded. Now, as I say, last week at work, this event happened, and I said, no, no, uh, well, I, I said, no, I never do anything like that. And then the person said, well, actually, if you look at the package of software we use for the database, I was the last person to edit the record, like guilty. And um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's so ridiculous, because in my work workplace, actually, the whole atmosphere is brilliant. It's not a blame kind of culture there. Um, and, uh, but actually, in my family of origin, there was a lot of blame. When we buried my mother, um, who died in September, um, and I did a eulogy, I personally think you should tell the truth in, at funerals. And uh, my mother was, was, came to Christ, and she changed wonderfully in her later years. But my sister and I were scared of her when we were children. And I said in the funeral, you know, at home, my father was emotionally as absent, and my mother was emotionally fierce. And I told everyone, therapy has been helpful. And, um, but, uh, you know, I still need redeeming from that. Handed that way of life, empty way of life, handed down from my ancestors. I wonder what empty ways of life handed down from your ancestors, your family of origin, you need rescuing from. Chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things 
such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. It was with the precious blood of Jesus. His, his blood has the power to start rescuing us from that empty way of life. I need grace to take off the clothing of deceit, which I feel I must put on to avoid ever being found out as wrong, as incompetent, as not perfect. And that reveals this idol in me, this idol of I must be perfect, that I must never make a mistake. And it seems that my self-worth depends on me being right, so I've got to self-protect, because otherwise I just feel I'm stupid and I'm useless and I'm no good. Well, I'm a, a lot older now than I once was, and I'm a little bit more in control of these things because I'm growing up in Christ bit by bit. But most of you are younger than I am, and you need to keep growing in these things, so God help us in that. But isn't that the freedom that you want? Isn't that the life you want? In Christ, we can be free from this idol of being perfect or being right to actually live in his grace and truly come into his holiness. And then hypocrisy. Well, as I said, it's the word for play-acting, of pretending to be someone different to who we are. It's, um, some people think that to measure up to God's call to be holy, they must play-act, they must pretend. That's what the Pharisees clearly were doing in Jesus' day. And Jesus was really strong in speaking against hypocrisy. So um, let's, let's grow into this security of God's acceptance so we're secure to cope with it when someone tells us we got something slightly wrong and then we can grow through that or envy let's move on envy is the name for that feeling when you find it unbearable that another person has talents looks opportunities possessions success that we do not have it can be you know where where I was church leader down in Surrey there are a lot more churches it's quite a bible belt so in a town of 20,000 you'd have six seven churches very much like this and um, you know when you heard that other churches had um, I mean that was a result of prayer when I first went there in 1994 we were the only church like this and we prayed for the other churches to be changed other churches got started and it was wonderful how all the churches were praying evangelical and charismatic but then I found myself so easily envious of, what, of the successes of other churches, of their wonderful alpha courses, of healings, of how they grow and all the rest. It's insidious. Envy is an insidious thing. And, uh, and you know, when you, you kind of hate to hear their looks praised, their talents applauded, their success celebrated. And we find ourselves wishing that their opportunities and their possessions and their success would be snatched from them. That is envy. It's a deeply sad sin because, because to admit that we think such pathetic thoughts would reveal what, that we believe ourselves to be needy and puny and ugly and unsuccessful. But who says that? Who's telling us those things? It's our enemy, Satan. right? Your good heavenly father has good words he's speaking over your life. And if we only knew half the good thoughts God has about us, we'd never envy anybody else. So God help us in that. God help me. And then slander is the sort of attacking speech, and I won't discuss that. So be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. And this ground is commanded in who God is, isn't it? It says, be holy because I am holy. It's because we're in relationship with God. It's a quote from Leviticus 19, chapter 2. 
in the Old Testament, you shall be holy, God told the people, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then the whole of Leviticus is like a par- Leviticus 19, chapter 19, is a parallel to 1 Peter. Both passages are about how the lifestyle, the conduct of God's people is to differ from the ways of the wider world. And this extends, as Leviticus shows, into every nook and cranny of life. It's to do with family and community respect, faithfulness to God, a sharing economy, right, a generous economy, workers' rights, social compassion, uh, next slide, judicial integrity, neighborly attitudes and conduct, sexual purity, racial equality, honesty in business. The Bible's intensely practical. Go and read Leviticus 19. It's a holiness of engagement, not of withdrawal. So, verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter's, the whole holiness is about love and love is about holiness. They're not separate things. They feed one another. As we are growing holiness, we're actually released to love better and to receive love. And Peter calls us to strip off the, work, the clothes the world has told us to put on precisely because those attitudes destroy community. Jesus did not buy us with mere gold. No, he bought us with his blood. So let's grow up more this year, 2022, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, the word of God, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's sing now as if, uh, Pete, if uh, Adam's taking this, the, the long route round. <laughs> Do you want to stand ready as the musicians come? <clears throat> so as, there, as either in spite of me or because of me, the Holy Spirit may have just popped something in your heart and mind and you're thinking, yep, I, I, that's something I need to take off. I, I, could, I could start to take that off. I can risk that. There's maybe a posture for you to adopt, a different posture. Because of my need to be right, I can be in situations, I can be assuming that it was the other person made the mistake. So it's good for me to adopt a posture. Let's assume today that I'm the one that made the mistake. And it's okay because I set my hope on the grace of God. What other attitude or disposition has the Holy Spirit just highlighted today for you to just tweak and adjust to recalibrate clothing that you can put aside. Maybe for you, for the very first time, you've, you've realized, wow, I've just been living in ignorance. You, you want to come up and say, I want, to start, I want to start taking off the clothes. I've been pretending holiness, and I realize now I really can enter into true holiness. We'll come and talk after, point you how to be introduced truly to Christ sing this song together about his 
wonderful grace for us. Mm -hmm.